Messi holding its breath. Leal now, right footed, scores! It is the golden moment on the opening day at Jonas Park. The sound of history. Welcome to Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. And we recognize that there are probably a lot of new folks tuning in who maybe just went to Jodas Park for the first time. We don't quite get 30,000 downloads yet. Maybe we're getting there per episode. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Tell a friend. Tell a friend. Tell a friend and, and you will. But I, some, of, some of the friends are tuning in today. So welcome. I'm Wes Bowling, Nashville SC radio commentator. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. As always, we're sponsored by ML Rose, just right down the street from beautiful Geodis Park. Moon Taxi plays our music. Nashville SC played to a 1-1 draw at the christening of its new ground, highlighted by the Randall Leal penalty kick goal you just heard. A great call from Tony Husband on iHeartRadio and a great moment, a golden moment, as Tony said, that will burn radiantly in the memories of Nashville SC supporters for the rest of time. Tim, a draw on the pitch. We'll talk a lot about it today but a big win everywhere else. Yeah, I don't know how people might be feeling if Randall Lyle hadn't found that equalizer, but but with it, the the rest of the day managed to be what the story was really about. If it had been a loss, it might have been different, but with the, a beautiful new stadium opening, um, maybe a hitch here and there, but not too many hitches for a brand new facility. Um, a, the supporter section brought it, and of course, a result is, is not all they were looking for, but it was good enough to, to make all that other stuff feel like it mattered. Yeah, and a couple of players made it clear after the match. You know, we maybe wouldn't normally celebrate with the supporters after a draw, but they felt that that these 30,000 fans deserved it. And I would certainly agree. And they said, even if we lost, we might have still gone over and probably would have shown just our this appreciation. Once, just this once, Alex. Just this once, exactly. So, you know, just win the next 16, and it's not it's not an issue. They can celebrate every time. <laughs> and honestly, my biggest takeaway from the match, and again, we'll get to the on-field action, but the sound does not escape this stadium. The, the vertical nature of it, we thought that would be the case, and it was. And that wall of noise seemed to energize this team, Tim. And I think it shows that Nashville's castle could become a fortress or at the very least somewhere that other teams will not enjoy playing. When we toured it just a couple of weeks ago before the first match, you could get the impression that the sound was not going to get out of the stadium. And the question was only going to be how much fans generated. And of course the team gave them plenty to cheer for and they definitely delivered. And that, that sound stayed exactly where we thought it would. And it made for an incredible atmosphere in the inaugural game there. Yeah, Nashville won the XG battle and it won the XDB battle, the expected decibels, um, <laughs> I think, battle as well. It was it was really loud. In the early shot, we will break down the tactics and the biggest moments of the Jodas Park opener. Our Gold Nuggets are going to bring you the milestones from the home debut, a, a number of firsts, of course, and we're going to give you those so you can be a smarter soccer fan and take those to your friends as you try to hit them to come with you next time. Uh, plus, what did Gary Smith say about the result? Then a good interview as we look forward to RSL. Matt Montgomery is the managing editor of RSL Soapbox on the SB Nation Network. Uh, he's covered RSL for a long time. And he has good insight about them. Of course, we know RSL. And chocolate. We'll and play them. And, and, and an expert on craft chocolate as well. We might talk a little Olive and Sinclair while we're at it. Uh, in the mailbag, more reflections from the christening of the castle. Can Nashville maintain such an open approach at home and then go back to being slightly more cautious on the road. Um, and what are next steps now that Walker Zimmerman and Hani Mukhtar are locked up through 2025 Zimmerman, the newest DP now three DP slots, all full for Nashville SC. We'll go outside in. Finally, can we trust Austin FC and can we trust Seattle to finally get off the schneid 
and win CCL on behalf of MLS for the first time in its current format. A busy show, but first, Club and Country is sponsored by ML Rose. And we want to give some love to Kerry. Kerry Longstaff tweeted at us, said he went to ML Rose for his pre-match meal. Um, win, he says. And I do believe Tim... I saw the picture. It looked very much like he was having my animal burger. Well, not my animal burger. And, and he didn't take <laughs> he my food. it off your plate. <laughs> uh, no, if he did that, we would not be friends as we are now. Uh, but he came up from southern Mississippi. He's in Hattiesburg, I believe. And he, he had a great Twitter thread that you should all check out uh, that was about his pilgrimage, not just yesterday, not just Sunday, but his pilgrimage as a soccer fan and as a Nashville soccer fan, he came up for uh, for Spurs and Man City, as did a lot of other people uh, from around the region. And he's not a Spurs fan, so he's got yeah. good judgment but there. He, but there was a picture in the thread of him wearing a Spurs jersey. So you and I can talk. both uh, feel a little brokenhearted about We're that. We have to have a talk about that for sure. <laughs> I think he was humoring his buddy who was one. And, and he took that same buddy up from Mississippi uh, up to the match. And he tweeted step-by-step step his journey, his experience. And I think it's going to serve as a good microcosm of what so many folks experienced as so many people are getting on board the train now. And, uh, of course, he capped it off. With his well, he probably kept it off with the match, I'd say. But he, <laughs> his other, his other highlight was the meal at ML Rose. So great to hear more people, uh, Tim, getting on board. Yeah, we we love to send people there. Um, it's a product that we believe in. It's not just that we say it because because they pay us too. <laughs> but uh, you know, the beer, the burgers, everything that uh, Carrie said lived up to the expectations. We're glad to hear it because uh, it is a product that we that we love to to shill because we believe in it not just because of of what it means for the podcast on eighth avenue not far at all from the new stadium and as you get your routines down now you know kind of what works and what doesn't where you're going to park where you're going to eat beforehand all those things work in ml rose to that routine sunday for rsl maybe for a u.s open cup test run here soon too got a lot of chances here now uh, 16 home matches Remaining for Nashville SC, plus at least one U.S. Open Cup match for great burgers, ambiance, convenience to Geodis Park. Watch parties for every road match and that large, diverse, locally driven craft beer list, as we say every week, when you think about Nashville SC, when you think about club and country, think about ML Rose. Ua comes forward towards the edge of the box, turns inside to move it, and Ua then slides it into the net, right-footed. It's a Philly special to stun Jonas Park. The first goal at Nashville's new stadium is scored by the visiting Philadelphia Union. A first goal in Major League Soccer for Mikel Ua. And the Union stun the Nashville fans. Well, that was Mikel Ura's 66th minute goal, the first goal in Geodas Park history. Unfortunately for Nashville SC, was scored by the visitors, but it would not be the only goal. A golden goal 19 minutes later. Randall Leal in the 85th on the penalty kick. And, and Tim, maybe Nashville should have gotten another one from the spot in stoppage time. Yeah, it would have been a second uh, cross-turned handball inside the box. Uh, I think the VAR check was not going to overturn the call on the field on the second one, and that's uh, right or wrong, what was going to be the case. And uh, I think given that Andre Blake got a hand to Randall Leal's penalty that went in, I would have been very nervous going into another one if I were him, um, seeing seeing Blake having done that to my first one already. So uh, who knows how it would have turned out. But, you know, that that's, that's the ropes of the game. And um, Nashville sometimes feels a little cursed by the officiating already <laughs> this year. But I think they're... They're gonna they're gonna get theirs uh, later in the year on, on some of those fifty uh, fifty calls. It felt like a mistake to me. It felt like one that should have been given. And when you know the VAR uh, referee catches it, 
stops in the middle of play and says, Chris Penso, go look at the monitor. I see something that could be clear and obvious. I thought it was. I don't think the chicken dance is a natural arm position inside the box. I don't think Maybe, it was. The chicken dance is a natural arm position. Maybe it's not for you, Wes. It's definitely not for me. If you've ever been to a wedding with me, you would know. Uh, you're lucky you have not. Uh, and we, by the way, we specifically said on our wedding playlist, no chicken dance, please, several years ago. They played it. Yeah, I don't think we we uh, required that level of instruction. It was just not going to happen. There. Our DJ. A little, uh, little off the mark on that one, unfortunately. The kids <laughs> liked it, though. Um, but it, it looked like an unnatural position. It didn't look like he was doing something intentional. It was already kind of out that way. And that was the, that was the case with the first one, too. It's, it kind of yeah. strikes a hand, but the, the laws of the game dictate if it's in an unnatural position. Sorry, bud. Yeah, that's it. You know, and then <laughs> yeah. you have to. That's why you see guys with their arms behind their backs, like they're you know about to walk the plank on a pirate ship. Like that's that's what you need to do inside the box. He didn't. His arm was out. I thought he deserved to to have a penalty whistled, um, and it would have been quite the cap to to Nashville's uh, Nashville's first day. Nonetheless, you know, I think you know when you look at XG, when you look at the way Nashville played, look at the way Nashville started. Tim, a dominant start to that match. The first thirty minutes, Nashville had sixty six percent possession they took seven of the first nine shots of the game and it looked to me felt to me like they were really buoyed by the energy from the crowd and and they nearly went ahead three times headed down away from McCarthy to drill it oh he's hit the post Dax McCarthy's left foot rattles the upright in it comes now and there's Zimmerman and then Will oh brilliant save by Blake on the line as Will had the goal at his mercy Martinez loses it ricochets to Mukhtar and the right footed shot is tipped over the top by Andre Blake who makes another fine save so big chances Dax McCarty in the fifth minute Alex Muell a couple times saved by Andre Blake one of the point blank the XG I think on that one effort was 0.51 so half the <laughs> time that's going to go in Andre Blake stood on his head and it was unfortunate for the boys in goal. Yeah, and that was a situation where Nashville was kind of playing the game that Philadelphia doesn't mind playing, which is which is when the opponent is able to dominate the ball and the opponent's connecting passes and the, and the union doesn't have to play a lot in their own end. But what Nashville was able to do was create some of these transition opportunities and recover second balls when they were still in Philadelphia's end. And that's mm-hmm. where a lot of those chances came from. And um, fortunately for Philly, they have Andre Blake between the pipes and he's going to make a lot of those incredible saves. And um, Nashville was just, just a little unlucky to hit the bar a couple times too. Yeah. Dex McCarty had, had pretty fresh legs. You could tell, I mean, Probably not a fresh brain. He has a newborn. <laughs> God bless him. A week old. Uh, and uh, Owen Dart McCarty. But he was solid. I think Sean Davis was particularly good in midfield at recapturing some of those balls. And Nashville, I think, in those chances, you know, they won so many 50-50s. They, they were assertive in, in repressing. Uh, but, Tim, when they didn't go ahead early, Philadelphia started, even toward the end of that first half, to play like it had been given new life. Gary Smith mentioned after the game that there are natural ebbs and flows of the game. And you're going to see that in basically any soccer match, but certainly it seemed like each team had chances to not only have momentum, but ride the wave a little bit. And and Nashville's wave of momentum was much higher. And they, when they couldn't convert, you give Philly the chance. And and there's a reason that Philly is atop the Eastern conference. Um, They're going to make the most of it, or, or at the very least, they're going to prevent you from making the most of it. And that's exactly what happened in Geodis Park. And when you talk to Gary Smith publicly or privately, he's very candid about the fact that he feels like he owes the crowd. When the crowd shows up, especially and as they did in, in incredible numbers this past Sunday, he feels like he owes it to him. And of course, he wanted the three points for his team. It is his job, after all, to get wins. But he also felt a, a compulsion to do it for the people who showed up and, and was disappointed when the team was not able to capitalize on any of those early chances. 
you know, it isn't easy. If you if you look around the globe at teams, especially in the, in the, the, the modern game, who have changed sites, have upgraded venues. You know, all sportsmen are, are very superstitious people, and you know we're coming into a brand new home here, and and it would be very easy to look at it and say, okay, you know we've got to, we've got to clear our way through a lot of of, uh, of of maybe hurdles to to get ourselves on track again. So to see the guys start off the first half as they did was very very pleasing, and I was really disappointed we didn't go in at least a goal up. So we'll talk gold nuggets now, Tim. Uh, and, and I think it's fun just to go through some some milestones on the first day at Geodis Park. The first ever shot in stadium history was taken by the same person who scored the first ever goal at the park later in the match. It was Mikel Ura in the third minute. But then Philly only managed three more shots for the rest of the first half as that ball-winning 4-4-2 formation won just 44% of its duels. Nashville, again, really good in those 50-50 situations. Yeah, when, when you're trying to play Red Bull ball, you probably don't want to try and do it against a, a central midfield of Dax McCarty and Sean Davis, who are, who came up in Red Bull ball a little bit. But what Philly wants to do is keep you in your own end and force you into mistakes. And um, unfortunately, that's where the goal would come from later in the match to a certain extent between Dax and, and Davis, uh, ironically enough. But Nashville did a really good job early in the match of, of playing through or over that press. They were getting in behind Philly quite regularly. Um they had the, they had their shots to, to to turn that into a lead, and it just didn't happen. The first foul ever in park history committed by Sean Davis, who later earned a yellow card, and the first yellow went to Dan Lovitz in the thirty third minute. Seven yellow cards given by Chris Pinso. Uh, I thought there could have been a couple more given as well. Um, and there's I, maybe... I didn't see I didn't see it live, but I thought there could have been a red at one point as well. Yeah, was that the wheel challenge you're talking about? No, I'm talking no. about uh, Alejandro Bedoya teeing off on the back of Dax McCarty's head with, with the ball. Check it out. It's in like the oh. 58th minute. It was incredible. I had, I did not see it live, but it happened right in front of the supporter section and people were tweeting me at it all after the match. And I was like, Ooh, veteran on veteran crime there. Yeah. Uh, Two former national team guys together too. Yeah. I mean, sometimes familiarity breeds, not even contempt, but the, the ability to know you can take that extra step with somebody <laughs> still maybe be friends with them afterward. I don't know, but that's, that's curious. Um, you know, I, I I thought there was one that the referee played advantage when mm-hmm. uh, it was uh, was it Harriel, I think, that went into the back of Dan Lovitz on a on a breakaway and mm-hmm. sent him to the turf. And Nashville's break continued, and it's one of those where you never trust the referee to go back and give the yellow yeah. after. Uh, I think he should have. Uh, that would have been eight, but it's still seven seven given as these clubs continued this pattern they have now in their fourth meeting of playing very physical matches against each other and two teams that have that similar blue-collar mentality, especially in midfield. Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say. It's two teams that want to play a physical match, and when you have two teams that, that are going to do that each against the other, you're going to get maybe some chippiness. You're going to get maybe uh, enough of a hard foul here and there to get seven yellow cards or, or perhaps a little bit more. Yeah, if Nashville played two or three matches against Philadelphia this year, uh, it could, could be some guys adding up on the injury report for sure. Um, <laughs> as it is, Nashville will not see them again unless they meet them in U.S. Open Cup or MLS Cup. Uh, never know. Uh, that first goal from Randall Leal, also his first of the season, scored in the 85th minute to christen Giotis Park. Mukhtar Leal and Sapong combined for 25 home goals last season to help Nashville to the only unbeaten home record in the league. And now it is 20 straight at home without a loss for NAC, uh, dating back to Dallas in November of 2020. It'll be interesting to see if if 
this has the same sort of stigma for the opponent that Nissan Stadium was able to develop. And we'll talk about this a little bit later in the mailbag too, but Geodis Park feels like it's going to be a continuation of what Nashville was able to do last year. And like you mentioned, the 20th straight game, but but in a way it's the first straight game, right? Unbeaten. So we'll see if mm-hmm. we'll see if the next uh, 16 plus are, are able to kind of carry that same sort of uh, mojo. Well, and I mean, just thinking about it from a, a theoretical standpoint, you know, it's, you're at a ground in Nissan that's more cavernous. The pitch is is kind of strange at times just because you're sharing it with the football team. You think that the elements go in your favor, especially with the crowd um, at, at the new ground. But the pitch is so pristine also. Maybe it's not as much of a home field advantage. So, you know, and Dave Romney talked about that after the match a little bit too. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take time to get used to that home ground, as pristine and perfect as it is. And uh, I think the best way to do that is to get some some results early. And in this case, they did against, against Philadelphia. Uh, now it's time to get ready for Royal Salt Lake. But first, Tim... I have have a weekend ahead of me that's going to be pretty interesting. Um, so, I've, as as you know, but our, as our audience may not, I have a twenty month old. You may hear him do some color commentary here in a minute in the background. <laughs> and finally, uh, some good commentary on this podcast. I know, right? Yeah, put put producer Lily on here too, and, and the true pros can can go back and forth here, talking about you know Bluey and Paw Patrol probably. <laughs> uh, this is my first weekend, first full weekend that it's just going to be me and him. My wife's going out of town. Um, so up until Sunday morning, Mother's Day, she'll be back in. I was going to say, happy, happy Mother's Day. Jeez. Well, I know, right? Well, she, her mom is, she's visiting her mom for a little mm. bit to celebrate, and then it'll be back Sunday. And it's her brother's birthday and all kinds of other stuff. It's my first time ever with, with little guy, just me and him, uh, for more than like, you know, I've spent days with him, but never like a whole weekend. So I'm thinking there's got to be an ML Rose trip in the cards, right? I mean, oh yeah, yeah. The, the bros got to go. Got to go. Bro, bros to the rose. Who knows? We can make rose to the rose. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the ML stands for man life. Bros to the rose. Because <laughs> we can go and and again there like uh, I don't know that I'm going to give him a whole burger just yet. He can clean house on some food, but but Carolina sweets like made for sharing with a little guy who loves fries, obsessed with French fries. <laughs> he used to call them fry buys, which I love. Uh, but uh, yeah, French fries. And he loves sweet potatoes too. There's a little bit of honey mustard on there, which he'd probably get confused with honey mooktar. He's recently learned the term honey <laughs> mooktar. Um, he, uh, he was at swimming lessons the other day and he told a swim instructor, Nashville SC, best player, honey mooktar, salute. And my wife had not been clued in about any of these things that he had learned and had no idea what he was saying. Very insistently, this woman's instructor. No, the beer will not be for him if you guys if you guys take that bros trip down to ML Rose. But I, I think you can you can safely have one and, and let him yes. uh, let him take care of some of the food too. I'll so. sip on one. I just have to keep it out of reach. He calls it Daddy's Juice, and he wants Daddy's Juice. Oh, everything that Lily can't drink is just called coffee. So she's been in my presence with an ML Rose coffee here and there. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. Uh, and ML Rose also, by the way, does have coffee, which I may need if he's not sleeping well. When it's just me having to having to getting to deal with him this weekend, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a great time. So. Uh, if you see a tired looking father and a very exuberant son who won't stop talking, sitting on the porch of ML Rose, it's us and make sure that's a role reversal. If, if you're the one who's, who's not going to be talking, his genes came from somewhere, man. You can't get a word <laughs> in with this kid. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it was so cool to see so many folks this past weekend and in past weeks, sharing their experiences at ML Rose. And again, we're not going to be so presumptuous as to say that we drove all of you there. Although for ad metric purposes, we're going to tell, uh, tell folks that, but, <laughs> uh, cause we know this, this is an established place and it was established for, for the two of us as well. When, when we heard that they would be interested in sponsoring, we're both like, 
yeah, of course. Like, that's perfect. That's great because we like this place. And uh, Tim, so whether, whether you're taking a 20-month-old, whether you're taking Producer Lily, or whether you're going out and maybe having a few more beers with, uh, with friends before or after games, it is just such a great option to, to build community around this team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we encourage everyone to check it out. And as always, we thank ML Rose for their sponsorship of the podcast. Yeah, great food, great beer, and a great opportunity to watch the, uh, the Tennessee Titans soccer team owned by <laughs> Reese Witherspoon. Let's go. <laughs> uh, let's move on now uh, past People Magazine clips and, uh, and get into our interview today with Matt Montgomery, the managing editor of RSL Soapbox. Gets us ready for Nashville's battle Sunday, 4 p.m., a Mother's Day matinee at Geodis Park. Well, Matt Montgomery has been the managing editor of RSL Soapbox since 2012. It is the place to go on SB Nation to check out what's happening in Salt Lake. He can be heard on the RSL Soapbox podcast off the crossbar and beyond RSL Soapbox. He can be found playing board games and writing about them in his newsletter. Big fan of science fiction, craft chocolate, and Star Trek. Oh, man. Uh, Have you heard of Olive and Sinclair, by the way, a craft chocolate spot in Nashville? I have. I didn't realize they were from Nashville, actually. That's uh, really good to know. How are things out there in Utah? Yeah, they're good. We're kind of in that weird spot between winter, spring, and summer. So we'll get some days that feel kind of summery, uh, some days that feel like flat out spring. And we probably haven't had our last snow yet. So it's, it's good, though. May snow is an insult to humanity, but yeah, uh, I, know, I agree. It'd be unpredictable over there near the mountains. Uh, well, thanks for coming on to to offer your insight about RSL. Obviously, Nashville fans know this club a little bit since the two met uh, not too terribly long ago um, in, in the two one win for Salt Lake. So, I guess first we'll start with what has changed uh, with RSL since the last time Nashville has seen them. Yeah, given it was early in the season, we haven't seen too much roster movement. Uh, there's one big one: Anderson Julio is returning to Real Salt Lake. I don't believe he'll be in for this match. I think there's a like an outside chance, but I, I think it's still a little too early given you know getting your work visas and all that and getting things straightened out. Uh, and then you know additional player movement uh, looks like uh, Jefferson Saverino will be returning to Real Salt Lake. That's not official yet, mm-hmm. uh, but but eagerly awaiting that. Uh, and we'll uh, see when that happens, but it definitely won't affect this Saturday. Well, it's, it's good for Nashville SC because uh, those are two guys who are so respected and obviously so comfortable um, in Salt Lake, having been very productive. I believe Savarino scored, what, 21 goals or so uh, for RSL in his time there. Anderson Julio, a very productive player as well. How do you assess that approach to bring in two established club veterans uh, and, and where you kind of know what you're going to get versus reaching for new talent? Does it surprise you or is that a move that, that you think it was the right move for the club to make? Yeah, so I think these are two uh, interesting uh, case studies in that with Anderson Julio, we brought him in on loan last year. Um, and I think the intention after his productive season was always to bring him back. Uh, but there was negotiation around price. And uh, in the end, it looks like RSL got a very favorable deal, but we did have to wait you know, five months without him. Uh, whether that was right or wrong, not for me to say, certainly. Uh, but that seems to have shaken out okay. Uh and in that case, it doesn't feel like we're going back to the well uh, so much as we're extending the time of a player that uh, was valuable for us last year. Sure. With Savarino, that's really interesting to me. Uh, we've gone back to the well frequently over the years. Uh, Yuramov Sissian is a great example that didn't really work out. He clashed with you know Mike Peck. He, he reportedly clashed with Deloy Hansen. Just not, not a great fit at the time, uh, which is 
it's too bad, really, because he could have been great. He wasn't. Um, Robbie Findlay came back after a stint in Nottingham Forest. Uh, Hamasin Olave came back after a stint in New York. So it's something we're we're used to. But with Saverino, we're getting back a player who has been gone for three years, has improved, uh, is valuable for his team, uh, but it looks like they need to sell for financial reasons um, and also for international player reasons, given they're bringing uh, Christian Pavone. Uh, he's a great player. I, I was extremely sad to see Saverino go when he did. He's He was, what, 22 at the time? Uh, he very much had a lot in front of him, and I, I thought, like, he could be a great player for us, and then we could sell him at 25 or 26. Instead, we're buying him at 25, and it's, it's you know, I don't know how we ended up here, but I'm not <laughs> disappointed to have him back. But he'll, you know, he'll have to prove that he wants to be in MLS. Uh, and I, I think it's likely that this will be a stepping stone for him uh, into Europe. But, you know, time will really tell on that one. As we talk about the the reintroduction of Saverino and Julio, I would imagine those moves are partially geared toward trying to stabilize a club that uh, just recently snapped a five-match winless streak with a win over LA Galaxy, which is something Nashville was unable to pull off. So congratulations to RSL uh, for that. Three of those results were draws, so when we say winless streak, I mean, it wasn't like it was you know five straight losses or anything like that. But I think maybe the concerning element I would see from the outside is the club scored just four times in its last six games. What's happening with this attack? Is it players just being unlucky under performing not having the elements this club needs to succeed in the attack what's the issue in your opinion yeah there are a few things uh the first is that demir krylik's been out and as we've seen he's a key cog in our attack uh, and without him we struggle to create it's interesting because it's not like he's sitting in the 10 distributing uh it's more that he's he's winning headers in the box and knocking things down and scoring from those and uh but he is kind of a midfielder. It's a weird one. Uh, the the bigger issue to my mind is we we haven't shown like a repeatable method for attack uh, that has been successful. Uh, Pablo Mastroeni has put his stamp on this team in 2022. Uh, and we are playing uh, shockingly like the 20, was it 2016 Colorado Rapids side uh, that he took to second place in, in MLS. Uh, flamed out in the playoffs, but you know it's MLS that happens, uh, and we're we're playing long balls constantly. We're we're just trying to clear things away in defense sometimes, uh, and it it doesn't cr- it. I guess when it works, it works, right? Like when it's working well, players are winning the ball, they're making great runs, they're scoring because they're confident. When it doesn't work, it just doesn't work, right? Um, and that's troubling for me because I would love to see a team that goes forward with intention. Uh, that's a, that's my preference. And and we've shown we can get results in this uh, very route one format. Uh, but it's, it's a format that lives and dies by player confidence. And obviously pa- Pablo Mastroeni is a, a coach that thrives on, on players being confident. But, you know, at the same time, like, I want to see something creative and attacking. And we were spoiled for a number of years with, you know, Javier Morales in the attack, uh, creating, you know, wonderful things. And, you know, it's, it's hard to, to really feel like it, that's a bygone era now. But I think it is for a while. 
Yeah, I think Nashville fans are going to be very familiar with that concept. Uh, Pablo is Gary Smith's captain with the Rapids before he became the coach there. And it's a lot of the sort of criticisms that you hear about Gary Smith, too. When you look at what Hani Mukhtar has been able to do for, for Gary Smith's offense and, and kind of take the attack to another level, is the lack of a guy doing that, you mentioned Krylock being out, is that kind of the bigger issue? Or is it something that, you know, even operating on full strength, is it, it's going to be an issue going forward with Pablo? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I need to try to separate like my personal preferences. Like I love good, beautiful attacking soccer. And I think we can see that in MLS sometimes. And it feels a little like uh, there's a reputation MLS has that it is a league where that's just not what you do. Um, so, so separating my preference out, uh, I think Krylik is helpful there, um, but it doesn't bring much repeatability. And watching Mukhtar when he was here in Salt Lake, uh, just creating opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, obviously those didn't all end up in the back of the net, uh, but he was extremely dangerous. Krylik is not that player. He's a, a very strangely understated like hybrid striker uh, where if he gets an opportunity he will likely finish it but he's not going to get a bunch of like beautiful opportunities obviously he's he's a great goal scorer he is kind of an enigma um, and he is not he's not a confidence player like you a lot of uh, you know great strikers right uh, he's very level-headed He's uh, genuinely regarded as one of the kindest people the team has seen. Uh, he doesn't have much of an ego about him at all, like period. Uh, he refused the captain's armband for a long time, despite being a very clear, obvious uh, option there. And it's, it's so interesting um, because he's also a great goal scorer. And th that's not a combination you see a lot. And I don't know how it worked with him, uh, He's a great player. I love him. Uh, but he is really hard for me to figure out sometimes. And not in like the enigmatic enigmatic striker way, but in the like, oh, this is a like a, a pretty normal guy who wants to go out and do good things for his team. And he, he does. That doesn't happen often. <laughs> Reminds me of the scene in, in the office where Kelly Kapur says, what kind of person tells somebody exactly what they're thinking what kind of twisted game is that <laughs> what do you mean you just want to go out and be a genuine guy and a genuine player what, what are you trying to pull here so it's, it's yeah. great to see that it really is uh you, you mentioned your observations of Hani Mukhtar from that first meeting between these teams what other tactical insights did you take from that first meeting between Nashville and RSL that you think RSL should be mindful of this time out yeah I mean that's probably the big one right like uh Given the similarity that you pointed out in the way these two teams play, I mean, it's going to be a match that, that rides on defenders. Uh, and whoever is a better defender on the day will probably be the player that influences this match. I'm not sure, like, the, the status of Walker Zimmerman might, right now, uh, but Justin Glad's going to have to be on top of his game if RSL wants to find any success. Now, luckily for us, he has been, and that's great. Uh, Marcelo Silva the same like he has a reputation here of being a real wild card he's had a pretty good start to the season despite a, a you know a, a largely mixed result set but other than that like I don't know uh, that first match was all over the place and maybe that's what I should be expecting here 
And it just seems like so many Real Salt Lake matches just are all over the place. And Pablo seems to love that. So I guess that's what we'll get. Well, sticking with that match, I think Nashville fans felt that their team played a pretty good game and just didn't get the result. How did RSL fans see that one? Did they feel like it was, hey, maybe we were lucky to get the, the result that we did here? Or is it a situation where it seems like it was, you know, pretty much got what was deserved? Yeah, I mean, those those misses from Mukhtar uh, probably had RSL fans feeling pretty lucky after that one. Um, that said, like Salt Lake is a funny place uh, where if we win, we absolutely deserve to win, no question. If we lose, we deserve to win, no question. Unless we played really poorly and then we deserve nothing and we're terrible. Uh, Salt Lake sports are a wild ride and the Utah Jazz are are similarly afflicted, uh, yeah. But I love it. I love the game. I uh, am a. I was a was a jazz fan back in the day. Stockton and Malone and Hornacek and Russell and mm, everybody yeah. else. Everybody who was cool cheered for the Bulls, and I was a jazz fan. Um, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. I yeah. Ostertag underrated yep. underrated center <laughs> for sure. But as you mentioned, the, the the sports culture in Salt Lake City. I think that that brings us to maybe the biggest off the pitch question that's been answered in a resounding way, I think, so far. And that's the ownership transition that's taken place. Is Deloy Hansen, to call him controversial, would be an understatement. And, <laughs> yeah. and now, you know, new ownership coming in um, with resources, with a passion for the community, seems to have inspired a groundswell of interest. You look at the at the um, consecutive sellouts that have happened to start the season at, at the riot. Nashville certainly felt that, I believe, when they visited. They felt that atmosphere um, how has that impacted things in your view? Is it is it a, a reinvigoration based on new ownership? Is it because the team seems like it could be pretty decent? Um, what's leading to this groundswell of enthusiasm around this club? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing because the average fan doesn't think much about ownership, right? There are cases where that's not true. Uh, Donald Sterling at LA Clippers uh, is an example where the average fan thought about ownership. Yeah, it's usually a negative situation when they think Yeah, abs- absolutely. Uh, Deloitte Hansen didn't quite reach that level uh, in the popular view, I don't think. Um, but at the same time, there were a lot of people I knew who canceled their season tickets because of the actions of Deloitte Hansen. And really, if you look back over the last eight, nine years since he took over, there was a, a steady degradation of fan experience uh, that was down mostly to a lack of investment. Uh, of course, you know, fans come for the soccer. Um, they don't come for, you know, Gloy Hansen was a, a guy who built a lot of things. Uh, he built the academy. He built, you know, add-ons to the stadium. Uh but they weren't things that the average fan saw a benefit from. And even now, uh, we haven't seen like huge upgrades to the stadium under new ownership. We haven't seen huge upgrades to the fan experience. But there's a new sense that there's an appreciation for it where there wasn't before. And that, I think, has added an element where people are excited to bring friends to games, bring family to games. Where before it was, well, I like... I'm a big Real Salt Lake fan. This is what I do on, on Saturday evenings, you know, half the year. But, you know, I, I don't feel like I want to bring anybody to this. Like, is it going to be fun for them? I don't know. Uh, but I think that's starting to shift, and that's a big thing. Uh, you know, another aspect, uh, 
John Kimball as Ray Oswald, like president, uh, has done a good job, I think, doing things to bring people in the door that are less focused on the bottom line. Uh, you know, tickets for for youth, uh, like youth soccer players, that are extremely cheap or free. That that can be seen, I guess, as padding the numbers a little bit. But by the same token, it also gets people in the door. And it starts to create new fans. Deloy Hansen was not about that. Uh, if it didn't affect the bottom line in a positive way, he was generally against it. Uh, or if it didn't affect one of his other companies in a positive way, he was generally against it. Uh, so, so in that way, we've started to open avenues that have been closed for a decade or so. And that's a real positive for Real Salt Lake. And Nashville SC is, is opening those avenues now, not only, of course, as a relatively young expansion club, but also with the new stadium, with Joda's Park. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, That's really exciting. And I can't wait to get out there maybe next year. Uh, come on out and, and let us know when you do. We'll take you to, to our favorite burger joint, ML Rose, who happens to sponsor the show. And, uh, oh, and perfect. And buy, a, buy a drink and a, and a burger. Uh, but I wonder how, how you think that that might affect the approach of this RSL team, either tactically or psychologically. Uh, obviously Pablo knows Gary Smith very well. And so the tactics may look, may look somewhat similar in some ways, but, but in terms of the mental approach, is there something that, that you think could challenge this team about entering a new ground in its second ever uh, match? Uh, anything that, that could uh, change how RSL uh, comes out? Yeah. You know, I don't think much will affect the way RSL decides to play this match, which is, an interesting thing. Pablo is not a highly tactical coach. Um, he has his preferences. He goes with his preferences. He's about the human spirit, right? The esprit de corps, right? Like he wants to see players playing for each other. I'm sure there'll be some talk about like, you know, hey, we're in their new stadium. Like, let's let that motivate us. You know, and that's fun. Um, but honestly, our approach on the road is kind of similar to our approach at home, which is uh, play a condensed defense, play long balls to your forwards, see if someone can run onto it. And, you know, I've got my feelings about that, but I, it, it's not going to differ much on the road, which is a fascinating thing for me. I appreciate it, Matt. And uh, where can people find your work? Yeah, you can find me at rslsoapbox.com. You can find me at the crossbar RSL on Twitter. And uh, yeah, those are probably the, the best two places. Tim, it's interesting, this RSL team, of course, got the win against Nashville, but even in that win, they were not overwhelmingly convincing. Bobby Wood scored early, and Game State drove a lot of the rest mm -hmm. of what happened. Nashville was able to equalize. They end up going down 2-1. But the XG count was 1.9 to 0.8 in favor of the boys in gold. And looking back, it was one of the better road matches they played in that road trip. And so it would lead to some optimism then coming home to play this RSL team um, without a couple of the pieces that will be joining it soon and at a cauldron at Jodas Park. Yeah, and I was kind of surprised what Matt said was, was man, we were terrified of finding Mukhtar and it's going to be more kind of more terror this coming weekend because of, of the number of chances that he was able to create. And it wasn't necessarily the sharpest day in terms of finishing for the boys in gold, but um, you know, we're the, we're the, both the small sample size podcast and the advanced stats podcast and, and generating the chances is more replicable than worrying about whether or not they were finished. And if Nashville just finishes a, at an average level and, and last year they finished at a, at a well above average level uh, you know, th the previous game would be looking pretty good. And, and when you come back to Geodas park um, after that long road trip, after what we saw against one of the best teams in the league this past weekend, I think you have to be feeling uh, not necessarily guaranteed, but pretty good about how it could play out.
Yeah, I think that's the thing too, that, you know, people who are maybe a little new to this league who might be listening can can bear in mind is that Philadelphia has been the hottest team in this league mm-hmm. since the season started. With apologies to LAFC or Austin in the West, who also playing great soccer. You can say one of the hottest if you want, but but certainly the, the, one of the strongest identities. And they came in here and they got swamped for the first 30 minutes against mm-hmm. Nashville uh, before trying to battle back. So I definitely think there's opportunity for a multi-goal output against RSL, as there honestly should have been against Philadelphia, if not for Andre Blake standing on his head and sprouting legs. He, he does that. He tends to. But yeah, Andre, Andre Blake's going to do that. That's like saying, oh, yeah, we, we played against the Revs and, and Matt Turner had made some great saves. Like, well, that's life. Of course. <laughs> but looking forward, the quality of those chances yeah. is going to be the lesser keeper. And most keepers in this league are lesser keepers than uh, than Andre Blake. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Although, although Nashville did did face like the God mode version of Zach McMath in, in that first RSL game, too. That's true. It really did all add up for McMath. Ah, Moving on to the mailbag quickly now to escape (laughs) that awfulness. Scott, how many games until we can say Geodis Park is a fortress? This draw was huge in helping the player's psyche in feeling it and believing it. Apologies for the dog commentary in the background if you heard that. (laughs) It's it's going to be a fortress as long as the fans do what they did on Sunday. Uh, I think supporters have more impact than they think they do, and... It's one thing for players to pander or seem like they're pandering a little bit publicly and say, the crowd was great. They really drove us on. But when you sit down with with these guys, you sit down with Gary Smith privately and they're still saying those kinds of things, then you know that that's real. So how long can it will it be? I mean, one game is certainly a small sample size, but but let's let's go a few games in and see how Nashville performs there. I think it has fortress potential and it. And we've had neutral people who visited Sunday say it was one of the loudest experiences they have ever had in an MLS park, including, by the way, Jim Curtin, who said that after the game. It'll be an interesting story storyline to follow because Nashville was unbeatable and unbeaten at Nissan Stadium last year, and they were often dominant when they were at home. But it didn't really feel like a fortress until kind of late in the year when, you know, everybody started looking at the win-loss record and saying, hey, what's going on here? What's going on here? But Geodis Park feels like it is going to going to provide kind of that emotional weight a little bit earlier than Nissan stadium did. And, um, you know, we'll see how that intimidation factor builds. And, and if Nashville's on-field play allows it to build, it'll be a, a situation where this is, is going to be known as one of the tougher places to play in MLS very quickly. That's a good segue into Logan's question. Does it take the players a while to get used to the pitch in the new stadium? I'm curious as to how that affects the team, if at all, in your opinion, Nissan for all of its flaws, the players knew the pitch and it was familiar. Yeah, I asked Dave Romney about that, and I think you alluded to it a little while ago. And um, he said it's no big deal because this is a, a stadium that has be- basically been built perfectly. Obviously, the the surroundings are different than what this club is used to dealing with, but the ways that the field itself are different are it's the best pitch that, that any of the players have ever played on. He's basically said there aren't really quirks that you have to kind of learn, and, and maybe that makes it a little easier for opponents too because they don't have any sort of uh, – tips and tricks that they aren't privy to but um if anything it'll be a relief to the guys not having to worry about the details of of sharing with the football team and the the field being chewed up when it gets to be september and just being able to go out and play and and again it's going to come down to the the fans and and their own on-field play making it an intimidating place and that's really going to kind of be a snowball effect i think love the radio booth and i love the fact that uh visiting media for titans games aren't going to be tearing apart our setup every week <laughs> and having things different than where we left them they they one time stole our keurig 
that we'd brought in for our broadcasts at, at Nissan Stadium. It's like some somebody took it and thought it was it belonged to the stadium. I don't know, but not going to be a problem at Jodas Park. We can lock that door and be back in a week and be good. So at least from a broadcast standpoint, <laughs> really looking forward to the consistency there. Uh, Wyatt, talking about the the on field mentality, uh, do you think we'll see this aggressive attacking style more, or was this just for the home opener? Also, is it a bad sign for Hani that Leal took the PK? So two part of there, obviously. Nashville style was very different home versus road last year. And I think that's going to be the same this year. If anything, I was surprised that it wasn't nearly as attacking as I did expect. And, and Philly had a lot to do with that, of course, but Nashville was kind of content to, to defend a little bit and then try and beat over, over the top of the press or, or kind of play the long ball a little bit. And that's not, not necessarily the most beautiful type of attacking football, although it was effective for much of the first half. And um, we'll see. I think they're going to be a bit more kind of expansive and creative as they get a little more used to it and as they play teams that aren't quite as good as Philly is, specifically forcing their style on them. Yeah, and maybe being driven by adrenaline's a double-edged sword too. When they were they were so eager to try to just be so direct and hit Philly over the head when they when they did have the ball, because they had so much energy and they wanted to just be like the renegade guitar riff and just slam 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 some uh, some music down down Philly's throats and maybe that that levels out just a little bit too as they get used to the energy that's that's behind them. Uh, in terms of the penalty kick question, a bad sign for Hani that they all took the BK. Maybe not necessarily, in my opinion. I think it depends on how. Gary Smith handled it with Mukhtar. Um, mm-hmm. Gary doesn't leave it up to the players on the field. There is a plan of who the PK taker will be. So it wasn't like, you know, Leal was having that conversation in the moment with Mukhtar. It was very clear who was going to be taking that, which tells me that that was orchestrated in mm-hmm. advance with some very sensitive conversations. Gary Smith does not get enough credit for being a strong man manager. It's a lot of stuff that you don't hear about, you don't see. But in, in chatting with him, he... Um, he he has some some very strong psychological skills as well with these guys, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know regardless maybe maybe Leal does does take him from now on. I certainly think he'll take the next one. Where you worry is if Hani loses confidence elsewhere on the pitch as a result of that. Um, if he never takes another PK for this club, but somebody else is stepping up, no worries as long as it doesn't affect him elsewhere. Hani was a little more of a facilitator than a scoring threat of his own this time around uh, in most cases. But he did that well. I think he looked pretty bright. I think, you know, if he does lack confidence at the spot, it's not spilling into other areas of his game. And I asked Gary after the match for some insight into into why Randall was the penalty taker rather than Hani. And I asked it in a very diplomatic way. And as Gary is wont to do, he asked it or he answered it in a diplomatic way as well. He said Hani actually approached him about saying he needed to, to kind of get his mind right and work through some struggles from the spot didn't want it to affect other areas of his game if he continued to struggle on penalties. And, and Gary said he let his star DP, his, his newly extended star DP, know that the job's his whenever he feels like he has his mojo back. And I think that there would probably be more in-depth conversations when that time does come, especially if if Leal gets more opportunities and continues to bucket them. But it is a situation where it's better to have somebody who who feels like it's part of his game that he can really continue capitalizing on rather than Hani, who, who kind of was feeling like, hey, if I struggle from the spot, it's going to be a distraction for the team and maybe a distraction from what I do elsewhere on the field. And I think that's the right decision for for all involved. And that's the kind of insight you can draw from the manager when you've been covering the club longer than anybody else in that respective respective discipline. That's right. You got it. (laughs) It's almost like you knew what I was going to say there. It's shocking. John Mueller, what do you think the most natural growing pain will be, referencing the stadium? He said the concourses yesterday were packed and leaving after the game wasn't great, but both of those seem like things that can work out with time. 
I wouldn't worry about the concourses. Um, they're, they're some of the widest in the league. If you've been to some of these other new stadiums, including Cincinnati and Minneapolis, which are the St. Paul, excuse me, which are the most two recent ones that I've been in very similar designs, but much narrower concourses. Um, there were first game quirks to deal with. Yes, absolutely. There were extra musical performances. Fans didn't know precisely where to find what they were looking for, whether from their own seat perspective or from a certain concession perspective. It's not going to be perfect, but it shouldn't be jammed in the same way again. Uh, as for parking, it might take a little bit longer to get everything operating smoothly there. There were some struggles um, both before and after the game in some parking lots. So hopefully they get that worked out. I've been building my uh, my U.S. Open Cup plan as I will not be on the broadcast mic for that. Uh, it doesn't look like there's going to be a local broadcast. And I think my plan is to ride share to ML Rose and then walk from there. I think people will figure those things out, right? If it hadn't been a thousand degrees on Sunday, I was going to ride my bike to the game. So been perfect would have been yeah. really nice. Uh, yeah, parking will take time for folks, but they'll get into their routines uh, for sure. And uh, I think that's the biggest growing pain, right? It's just knowing where to go and where to be mm-hmm. and could also have led to more packed concourses as people were exploring and taking notes on where mm-hmm. the Prince's Hot Chicken check uh, stand was and why they should avoid the hot there uh, <laughs> on the hot day. Uh, John Mueller follows up. Uh, Respectfully, what does Gary have against earlier subs? That aspect feels very questionable in my opinion. Bonus thought, he says, I thought Loba looked really good. If he gets the chance to gel with Hani and Randall, he could be really fun. Agreed on that. Um, just two subs Sunday. It was Loba coming in in the 73rd and Nunga in the 87th. A note that uh, Anibal Godoy was not available. So, it, you know, if, if he's available, one of him or Dax probably starts and the other probably comes in. You see a third sub. I think, honestly, Tim, even on a hot day, the players had such energy so late in the match, given that atmosphere, that you have quality and you still have energy. That wins out over fresh legs to me. Yeah, he, I think he tends to stick with the plan that he has entering a game as long as it's working and the players aren't out of steam. Um, he has shown in the past that when something is not working, he's willing to make a, a change as early as halftime. As for Loba, he's needed to have a mistake-free performance or, or close to it to earn more playing time. And, and Sunday was the closest he's been to that yet. But um, I want to follow up with a kind of a follow-up question here from Public Defender. Um, sorry, I don't remember your name, but from... Uh, from the Nashville FC Discord, he said maybe we'll be able to break down the analytics to show that CJ was better than than looks like from the eye test. But um, my my take on it is that CJ isn't necessarily doing things that are captured by the statistics. He is he's being that outlet to play long, and and that's what is keeping him on the field. That's not something that Ake Loba is necessarily going to be able to do quite the same way until he's able to clean up his turnovers in transition. But when that happens, I think you're going to be seeing a lot of Ake Loba this year. Yeah, the raw skill we saw and the the infusion of confidence he had mm-hmm. in the home ground, very promising. Uh, I think that move alone hopefully earned him a U.S. Open Cup start. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what else he can do to be consistent. Uh, Curtis Gaines with Hani and Zimmerman's contracts done now. And we referenced that earlier, but the big news Friday, Hani Mukhtar, Walker, both extended through 2025. Zimmerman, the newest DP for this team. So then Curtis asks anybody that, that Nashville might be looking to bring in. He says on a veteran contract, um, we'll, we'll broaden that and, and we'll let you know the MLS primary transfer window. Uh, for this point in the season closes on Wednesday. So Tim, if you if you could bring in someone before summer, doesn't seem likely for this mm-hmm. team right now. Um, as much as there's been connection with a Shaq Moore out there, <laughs> we've not heard enough smoke. I think to indicate yeah. heard smoke, mixed metaphor. We've not seen enough smoke to indicate that that there's fire there just yet. We could be wrong. We've been wrong before on those types of things. But if you could bring someone in before summer, is there anybody you might look around the league or elsewhere and and see who you'd bring in? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't expect unless Mike Jacobs can pull a rabbit out of his hat that we do see anything this week. But in the summer window, which opens, it's not a very uh, long period between the two windows here. That right back position still remains a priority. I do think that Tenerife and, and La Liga 2 over in Spain is is holding on to Shaq Moore until the end of their season. And that there's a really good chance that Nashville SC is the MLS team that he ends up with if he moves in the summer once they either win their promotion playoff and go up to La Liga or if they do not win their their promotion playoff and they stay in in La Liga too it seems like he's kind of right on the cusp between those two leagues and it doesn't make sense for them to keep him either way I have your headline if it happens from Tenerife to Tennessee okay there you go Tennessee Rife no no never mind strike it from the record (laughs) that's a Tennessee riff I guess hey yeah. Hey, good friend of the show, Carrie Longstaff, uh, reaches out and says, what would have been the better crowd celebration? The one that we saw with Leal or Wheel scoring if it had not hit off the post? Um, and he's referring to the 23rd minute chance, Alex Wheel. Uh, well, he had a couple of great ones, actually. This was the seventh minute chance he's referring to that was tapped by Andre Blake, hit off the crossbar. Um, the first of a couple of chances in the first half from Wheel we heard earlier. Um, I think it's Alex because of mm-hmm. just the, the earliness of that moment and, and the furor the crowd was still in, except... The one bummer is it happened on the other side, yeah. so they wouldn't have been able to run over to that supporter section. Or it would have been a long run to do that. So <laughs> it was perfect the way that Leal scored. And he said after the match, I went straight to the fans because I owed that moment to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I do think that being on the wrong end of the stadium would have kind of diminished it. But scoring from the run of play is, has much more pop potential for the crowd than, than does a penalty kick where everybody's kind of already expecting it. You don't get it quite the same, but... Uh, it, it would have been an interesting uh, little test case to see if, if it had happened at the other end, what could have gone on. I will say this. It didn't feel like there was a wrong end of the stadium. And you said it in the reference in the same way that I referenced it, which was opposite of the supporter section. The mm-hmm. radio booth and the press box to skew toward the other side. And it was freaking loud over there, too. It was not a situation where the supporters were carrying the noise. Yeah, the supporters were awesome, but it was it was noisy throughout, and, and they were following the lead of the supporters really well elsewhere, too. Pretty great. Uh, let's go outside in. Rick with a question, actually, that was in our mailbag, but we'll, we'll put it here because it's about Austin. He says, what's the deal with Austin? I haven't been following their season closely, and looking at the tables uh, recently surprised me a bit. Are they legit contenders or writing some sustainable performances? Uh, Austin right now is second in the West, uh, just passed by LAFC in the nightcap on Sunday. Um, They have six wins, but of those six wins, Tim, five have come over the following. Cincinnati, Inter-Miami, D.C., Vancouver, and Houston. Um, They're overperforming their XG by 1.3 goals per match, according to one metric, according to Matt Doyle, who had the write-up and basically asking this exact same question and answering it in 15 paragraphs. In fewer Mm -hmm. than 15 paragraphs, as Austin heads for seven of their next 10 on the road, is this a team you believe or are they more of a fringe playoff team who's had a good schedule and just a nice early start? Yeah, I don't think it needs to be the binary of if they're a, if they're a shield contender or a, a total paper tiger. I think they're a decent squad with a yeah. win-loss record that's probably slightly better than than what they have been so far this year. But Los Verdes have been good enough to to project them into the playoffs. And when you get there, you can contend for MLS Cup. And, and I think they're a good enough team that they could make a run like that. All right, what about CCL? It's coming up, the, the final, the second leg. 2-2 Seattle, the beneficiary of two penalties to come from behind against Pumas on the road. The away goals rule, not in effect for the CCL final. They, they have to get a win or, of course, a draw would send it to penalties. They're at home, on the turf, in front of Marshawn Lynch. <laughs> Can they get it done? Man, the free space is disappointment, right? But Marshawn decrees. 
that the that, that Sounders must win. And you have to think if it's ever going to happen, it happens in front of a, a near sellout stadium. I'm a near sellout NFL size stadium. So it's going to be something that uh, if it doesn't happen this week, it's, it's just never, never going to happen. It is never happening if that's the case. All right. Final whistle. 440 Sports Football League. I'm still in fourth. I had the surest bet of all. Tati Castellanos captained against San Jose at home. <laughs> They've scored 14 goals in the last three. He didn't score a single one against San Jose. It was the surest bet in MLS history. As a result, stagnant in fourth. But Tim, climbing five spots to 36. That's respectable. When you set your lineup. Things go better for you. <laughs> you pay attention to the competition. Somehow you magically start competing better. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, content recommendations, then we're out of here. Uh, I got to say, check out uh, check out everything on Club and Country to, to cap such a magical day. And then friend of the show, good friend of the show, Steve Cavendish, with a really good piece uh, in the Nashville scene. Uh, he writes, the, the lead is, we were not supposed to be here. And Nashville, mm-hmm. of course, wasn't supposed to be in this position. But they were, and they delivered and a, a great write-up of, of an unforgettable day. Yeah, my, my recommendation is, is very similar from the national perspective. Another friend of the show, Tom Bogert, a past guest of the show, and, a, and a, an incredible mustache, um, basically wrote the same thing for MLSsoccer.com, but from the national perspective. And it was a really good look at not just what Nashville is and what Geodis Park is, but what it means to the soccer, what it means to soccer in the South and mm-hmm. what it means to this league. It was a very, very well-written piece from, from another good friend of the show. We hope you enjoyed the national spotlight, Nashville. It is not the last time this year that your team will take it. Uh, and it was great, by the way, to meet Tom and see the mustache in person uh, <laughs> the night before the match. But thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, tell a friend. Tell the friend that you're going to these games with about the show. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe. Follow us all, each on Twitter as well for bad jokes and occasionally good insight. Thanks to ML Rose for sponsoring us, for Moon Taxi providing the music as always, and thanks to the 440 Sports Network. We cannot wait to talk to you again next week.